Welcome back to the Behind the Well Show. I'm your host, Roger Abel, here with Elias Randall. Eli, how was your weekend? Roger, my weekend was, it was really good. So I think a lot of the listeners know I uh, am a football official for high school football and college football, and I was, it was a good weekend. I got to work two games that were pretty competitive. Um, one game potentially is going to decide a conference champion. So that's that was a lot of fun. Um, very, so it was a it was a good weekend for me. Got to see a lot of competitive football up close. So it was nice. That's great. It was better than the football I watched on TV. I know that. I'm an Iowa Hawkeye fan, which I'm sure everyone knows. That was football. I thought that was a baseball playoff game. I mean, there were, the score <laughs> it reflected was, it. It was something. I, I jokingly told you when you came in here that um, the Padres scored scored more runs than uh, the Hawkeyes did on Saturday, and that one, that was in a baseball game. Yeah, what, what was the final score? Nine to six. Nine six. I, it's hard I mean, to win. It's hard to win only scoring six points. We got to score touchdowns. I mean, got to score a touch or two. And actually, we did score a touchdown. On defense, it got called back. Yeah, I don't, did did you that, actually watch the game? What did that? I did, but what did that get called back for? Riley Moss got the ball on a fumble, and they said they called it a fumble on the field, and he returned it for a touchdown. And I was listening to this on the radio, so I didn't get to actually see the play. So I've listened to Gary Dolphin and Ed Podolak, and the way they were talking, they said – they didn't think they'd have enough to overturn it, but they kept justifying how the ball wasn't coming out yet. And I was sitting with Brad in the car. We were coming back from hunting. And I'm like, they're overturning this. Like, they're going to overturn this call. Apparently, the ball had started to mo- hadn't started to move until his elbow hit the, hit the ground. His right elbow hit the ground. Oh, the ball hadn't started yes. coming out. Yes, I but know. But they called it a fumble on the field. Yeah. I know what play you're talking about, and yeah, that that's a correct that's a correct ruling. It wasn't so, coming out. No, he was down before the ball came out. So, so in football, if any part of your body other than your hand or your foot touches the ground, you are down. So, so as soon fun- as his wrist hit the ground, he's down. Listening to it on the radio, though, I literally told Brad, "I'm like they're trying to justify how this is a fumble. Like they're talking themselves in Podolak and Dolphin." They're trying to talk themselves into why this ball is coming out. I said, it's not coming out. He's going to be down. Yeah, and if, if there was no replay, if there was no replay, it would have been a fumble and a touchdown because no one, no official has that good of vision to see, oh, his arm hit the ground because he was laying, he was basically, basically sitting on top of another player and then his arm touched the ground Here's- before the ball came out. So, yeah, you're all, on the field, you're always going to have a touchdown on that play. Here's the sad thing about it. Dolph literally said, this is the game right here. This play determines the game. There's like four minutes to go. He was right. <laughs> yeah. Well, you, you should have heard him talk. Brad was in the car with me. He goes, you'd think we're down 21 points the way Dolphin's talking. He knew we couldn't score. Just couldn't move the ball. So anyway, on to, I guess, maybe not better things, but different things. Uh I've talked to a lot of people recently, and I think people are becoming more aware that this is probably likely to happen. But, um, you know, recession is in the in the headlights at this point, I think, on the economy. And I think what we want to talk to people about are, you know, how we're suffering from what we call kind of recession fatigue because we've talked about it so much, how to deal with it and try to help people through this, because you made a good point, you know, before we started the show. 
everybody's just kind of in survival mode right now. You got to figure out how to get through this because this too shall pass, just like all the past recessions, all the past bear markets. It's just mentally, how do you put yourself in the frame of mind to get through this the best you possibly can? So I'm at a, I feel like for me, this idea, this recession fatigue, I'm, I mean, I get what this article is talking about, right? Like it's starting to drag on and it's getting, you know, people are getting fatigued from it, thinking about it, worrying about it. But then I'm also on the flip side of that. I'm wondering, I wonder how, how bad this really is. Cause, because even though we are, we're in a recession, we have a bear market going on. There's not massive layoffs right now. Most people, at least in our, in our local economy, there's still plenty of jobs. People are working. So, and I wonder if it's um, maybe, is it the speculation that's wearing on people's mind or is it actually the actual reality of what's going on? I feel like if there was, like we had already had a lot of layoffs and there was more people out of work right now, this would be significantly worse as far as, as far as how it was making people feel. Um, I just feel like at this point, as long as people are working and able to keep their bills going, I don't know. I don't know how much that weighs on them, really. So here, here's what I think about that, Elias. It hasn't happened yet, what you talked about, losing jobs, getting paid less. It's going to happen. It's what the Fed wants to happen. That's why we're raising interest rates like we are. Um, I was listening to one of our favorite podcasts this morning, and they had a research analyst on there who's very, very, very well connected, and he made the point. The Fed wants three things. They want you to have less wealth, they want you to make less money, and they want fewer jobs. They want people out of work. That's the only way they're going to get inflation down. And you made a good point. Like People aren't feeling it yet. The average consumer, the average consumer, if they stop looking, if they weren't looking at their 401k balance, probably still feels pretty good about the economy right now, even though things are more expensive they still feel pretty good because they have more money in their pocket. They can afford to pay what they're, you know, what they're currently buying. The Fed wants less wealth, whether that's in your house or your 401k balance. The Fed wants more people unemployed and they want you to make less money. That's the only way they're going to cut the head off inflation. Yeah, so we're all Gosh, that's kind of scary to talk about. It's really scary and I didn't really think about it that way. So the question becomes like, how do you deal with it? Yeah, so because, that, I guess that's kind of the next step, right? Okay, so. And it's not going to affect everybody. I mean, let, let's be honest. If you're a long-term investor, it probably doesn't matter as much for your account as it does for people who are just dependent upon earning a living, right? You're going to be much more affected if you lose a job. Not everybody has substantial investment account balances. Half of America doesn't have one. Well, yeah, and probably 90% of America doesn't have a savings that's really, I guess, you know, like worthwhile or a, a significant amount of wealth, right? There's not that many people. Uh, of all the people that participate in, in investing, there's there's not that many that are probably really effective savers and save enough to get real wealthy. True. So I think one of the things we can do to help people is just offer some advice on if we believe there's a recession, which I, guys, it's likely, I mean, this is maybe 
as well forecasted as possible. The Fed wants everything to slow down. They don't want a deflationary environment, but they want prices to slow down. And if we get pushed into a recession, what are the ways that we can today start working to kind of insulate ourselves from that? And I think the, the very best and the core of all of this is to have some kind of an emergency fund, three to six months if you can. And you know, hopefully people looked at during COVID said, hey, look, maybe it's important that I have an emergency fund if I can't afford to go to work. The problem is we just gave all everybody money. So they maybe didn't lose learn that kind of lesson. And what's shocking is 23% of America has no emergency savings at all. So if you have no emergency savings, the recession, if you lose your job, could be exceptionally hard for you to recover from. I mean, what are you going to do if you lose your job? You have no savings. You're going to go to your credit cards. You're going to start taking out debt. Well, what's the average credit card interest rate today? Now it's 18%. Rates are up. Yeah, and I would guess the 23. So the 23% of people with no emergency fund, we're also probably talking about the, you know, the bottom quarter of income earners, bottom 25% of income earners. So they're they're affected the most by inflation. They have no emergency fund. So if they do end up being laid off and they can't get their paycheck every week or two weeks, however their company pays them, yeah, that, that problem could uh, that, that problem could really get worse. So here's the first thing people can do. Just start, there's two things. Start streamlining what you spend. I mean, just take a look and evaluate. And I'm doing it for myself and I'm pretty spendthrift, but reality is if a recession happens, our business will be impacted. So how do we get lean and mean, like you said, to just survive and we'll be fine. But why wouldn't we prepare? So you can streamline your spending, start stashing the extra cash. What's the worst thing that happens if you put a big pile of cash away to prepare for the worst? Nothing. What, what do you mean the worst? Yeah, what, I was just thinking, what do you mean? What's, what's the worst that can let's happen? Say if we you have need a, it, you need it. Let's say we have a prolonged, prolonged recession. Okay, you put this money away, you need it. Well, what if we don't have a recession? You stashed away a bunch of cash. That provides opportunity. You, you, you're, yeah, and you're, you're already prepared. There's nothing wrong with preparing, not for the worst, but being prepared. Emergency fund, cut your spending, review all the subscriptions that you're not. Good example. Going through my, it's hunting season. So all my little hunting apps that I subscribe to, they're up for renewal and I'm, you know, I go through and I'm paying attention because one of them expired. I'm like, oh, I want to renew that. I had three other apps that I signed up for that are like $49.99 a year. That I'd usually just pay it. But I haven't opened the app them? for a year. I haven't opened the app for a year because it tells you when you last opened it. Well, Guess what I did? Cancel, cancel, cancel. Cancel those and then put that money in your emergency fund. There you go. Um, you can cut, cut um, impulsive purchases. I mean, that's the number one thing. If you think about um, one of the things I think happened during COVID is people got, or maybe they they became less thrifty. And I think part of that was there was nothing to do. And we talked about this show on the, we talked about this topic on a previous show. During COVID, you couldn't go spend any money on your normal stuff. You weren't going out to eat. You weren't traveling. All those things just kind of shut down. What did people do? They shopped online. 
How did people buy groceries? I've Hy-Vee didn't really have grocery pickup until COVID. It was like rarely used. Some people were getting groceries delivered. What did everybody do during COVID? Order my groceries and pick them up. Ado- yeah, adopted those services, started using them. Got people comfortable shopping online. So it went from one, went from your local grocery store to, oh man, now I can order toilet paper on Amazon. And when it's easy to get stuff, guess what you order more, more of? Stuff. You're not traveling. You're not going out to eat. You spend all your time on your computer. Guess what? Th- guess what happens? Online shopping. So we've got two little kids just like yourself. About six months ago, I told my wife, I said, you spend like two hours a night shopping online for kid stuff. And she didn't realize she was doing it. But I do because I can see the bank account. What I've noticed over like the last six months, because there's more stuff to do. She's been going out with her friends. She's, you know, just more activities. She's not spending two hour, two or three hours a night shopping online. Guess what's happening? We're spending less money. Not, not intentionally. Just the whole online shopping is worn off. But people became very impulsive about what they needed. Good example, Peloton. Peloton. Everybody ordered a Peloton. We ordered a Peloton. That thing. I didn't. I know I'm not going to ride it. That, my wife rides that thing like once a month. It was one of the worst purchases we bought. We bought some bad stuff. But the Peloton, that's going to be one of them. So sell those it. are a few Just things. Sell it on Amazon or eBay or something. Get rid of it. No. Face or Facebook Marketplace. Elias, do you know how long it took me to get rid of her the punching bag that she bought to like do kickboxing in that she'd had for four years and never once hit the bag? Uh, four years. It, it took, took four years. <laughs> The Peloton? No way. Not going to happen. No. I mean, it looks nice. It's a nice piece of furniture, I guess. Elias, another way that people could start to prepare for potential recession if if there is one coming, which just be prepared, maybe consider a job a job switch. And here's why I say that. I saw a chart yesterday. I was doing a little research for the show. The average employee who stays at a job right now, they're get, averaging a 5% pay increase. If they switch, it's 9%. So it could be, yeah, it could be a good time to switch jobs. And even though the market, the economy is slowing down, it seems like the labor market's still pretty strong. People are making more money. Wages are going up. Well, if you want to make a switch, now's the time to do it because guess what you might not be able to do if we have a recession? Uh, there won't be as much leverage to negotiate. There might not be the same jobs available. You might be happy that you made the switch and you're not stuck in a job you don't like. Yeah. I think that that's the number one thing. Um, stay invested. You know, I think people um, during these times have this propensity to wonder if they're doing the right thing. And one of the reasons we run that financial plan is we can verify that clients are invested the right way for the long term. Clearly in the short term, none of this is fun. It's not fun for us. It's not fun for the clients, but it's a normal business cycle. This isn't the first bear market. It's not the first recession. It's not going to be the last. And I think I think right now is a good test of investors. Uh, can you stay invested? Because it's easy to talk about because we do it all the time, even when even when things are good, we still talk about behavioral finance with clients and prepare for a bear market. 
But now the it's now the question is okay. So we've talked about it. You said you're going to do it. So can you actually do it now? Because we can show you all the research, all the data that shows staying invested, being a long-term investor, your returns are going to be much greater than trying to get in and out, time the market, uh, get to or just even other things like get too conservative at a time when you shouldn't. So I and I think so far. So far this year, I think I've been very happy. I've been very proud of all the clients we work with. I think everyone's doing a great job, but if we if we keep creeping up on more and more pain, you know, can you hang in there? Right? It's almost like I heard someone comparing it to like a boxing match. It's like we're almost kind of it's like it's like a heavyweight bout that's going to go 15 rounds. Can you just hang in there? and and deal with it until until the market turns that's a i guess time will tell i hope so i i think so too i think people are going to people who work with professional firms i think you're going to fare better than people who don't i guess is my ultimate opinion on that i heard a great analogy about this and what it's i guess not an analogy but a great comparison this is like two different horror movies One's the, the conjuring. Situation. Yeah. One's the conjuring where it's like suspenseful for two and a half hours and you're on the edge of your seat and you're literally nervous and scared the whole time. And it grinds on for two and a half hours. Right. Okay. From from minute one. I've never seen it, but okay, I get what you're saying. Well, I know you haven't seen it. You're not the movie guy. Nope. But it just grinds on. COVID was like scream two. Like they scare you real quick and it's over. Like most of the movies not scary. They just hit you with a quick hitter like and scare you and then move on. This is a slow grind. Think about this. We're nine months into this and it's just grinding lower. It's not like it just went down 15% a day. It's just grinding lower. Eventually the grind is going to affect people. People didn't have time in 2020 during COVID to bail out. Like it went down and it came right back. And we've been prepping people that the expectation should be that this is going to be a long grind until this is over. And if it turns out that it flips around and everything's really good, well, then you won't be disappointed. But we should just set the expectation that this is just a slow grind before we get some type of relief. Either inflation has to get better, something has to happen in Russia, China needs to open up. One of those three things has to happen to really get this market moving in a positive direction. And one of the things you can do if you're struggling with this as one, update your financial plan. But two, um, we've kind of devised what we call our portfolio recovery strategy. And how do we turn lemons into lemonade? You know, everything that's bad, there's always some opportunity out there. And there are opportunities in the market due to what interest rates are doing and volatility that's in the market's provided some unique opportunities. So we've kind of coined that our portfolio recovery strategy. If anybody wants information on that, you can go to the website. It's btwellshow.com. Click get started and we'll we'll walk you through how that works. So I guess get prepared, stay invested. If you are subject to a layoff or something bad happens with your job, kind of the interesting thing today in our economy that's different than it ever was. We have this gig economy. And I think this is part of this hidden job problem where we can't find workers. I watched a TikTok video the other day because I got you know wrapped up in some TikTok. And 
there was a gentleman interviewing a younger gal. She's probably like 25. And she said, Hey, will you date that guy? And she goes, no. He goes, why? He's an eight to fiver. I go, I listened. And he goes, what do you mean? Eight to fiver? He goes, well, he has a real job. I wouldn't date a person with a real job. You wouldn't the, date someone with a real job? No, because they don't see that as pros, prosperity. They're okay. making more. I mean, think about it. It's TikTok. But this gal saw a, a person working an eight to five job as not prosperity for herself. They want someone who's in the gig economy, has their own business or being entrepreneurs. Well, what's the percentage of this young population that actually is not entering the workforce because they're just working for themselves? That's a good question. I have no idea. What about Brock in our office? His son's working as an entrepreneur doing the animation stuff. Jeff's kid, he's doing like custom shoe sales. They're not entering the workforce. They're starting a business. They're still working, though. But they're not going to work. Yeah, they're for, not going to be an employee somewhere. They're not being an employee. So every person that goes and does that because they can work on a small scale for themselves and be profitable is one less employee someone can hire. So then we have to pay people more to get them to work that job. Because why would they go work X job for 40000 a year, 25 bucks an hour, when they can go earn the same amount of money on their own? work the schedule they want, have the latitude they want to work. I, I think that's hidden in this in this economy. I don't know what the actual numbers are, but watching that video shows how young people are thinking. It's not how our generation thinks, but under 25, no. that's how they think. That's not a bad thing either. I think Maybe. it's great, but it could change the overall structure of the jobs market. It could. I mean, ultimately, there's going to be and young people are going to try things and you certainly should when you're when, when you are younger. But how, how many how many people can really survive for the long term and make the kind of the make the kind of money they want to just in the gig economy or having like a a, a niche business? Some people can and I some think it's people way more will. than you think. I think it's way more than you think. But it's not of all the people who try it. It's not going to be a high percentage of people that succeed at that. Well, here's the question becomes this, Elias. Can you make 40000 or 50000 The average medium house, median household in America is, what, sixty grand? Can you make that in the gig economy? Or oh, run your own small business versus going to work 8 to 5 every single day for somebody else? And that's a good thing. The more people that can do that, that's probably a good thing. It's a good thing for themselves. It's potentially not a good thing for the labor force. Because there, it has to equilibrium. You're going to have to pay the person enough money that they're not willing to do their side gig and give up their free time and work when they want to work and not have to go to an office and all those different things. I don't yeah, think people I, have thought this through. I haven't. I, 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 I wasn't. Haven't. I'm not. I'm having a hard time wrapping my mind around. I wasn't what, thinking what about this until I. Be. I wasn't thinking about this until I saw that TikTok video. I'm like, that's how they think. Because we all have this bias of how we think. Like. We were told you go to school, get a college degree, get a good job. That's not what they're doing today. And part of it's probably because college is over, not overrated, but it's very expensive to go to college. So it's like Brock's son. I think he's like, well, where I'm at in animation, all the people he's talked to, they're like, college is going to be wasted your money and time. You're already beyond everything you would learn. Well, good for him. But point is, he's thinking differently about this. Like college wasn't the go-to 
Hey, I have yeah, to go. Wasn't the go-to move for him. And that I don't see that as a bad thing. 25 years ago, thing. 25 years ago, regardless of where you were, you were going to college because oh, everybody even told less, you even less. How old I'm 30, 34, even 14, 16 years ago. That's the way people were doing it. When I, I just, graduated high school, I just really think people are thinking a lot differently about how they can earn money. And that's putting a lot of stress on the job market. I mean, you, know, you go to these big cities. I always, yeah. I talk to my Uber driver like, oh yeah, I make 50, 60,000 bucks a year. Well, that's one less person in the workforce that would go do a regular job and they're working their hours. I get it. They're working kind of for an employer. They're a contractor. Yeah. They're coming and going as they please. So well, I yeah. think that'll be interesting. I think that's pressure for the workforce. All right, Elias. So we're talking, we've talked about the recession, but what are, I heard someone the other day just say, Hey, I, I don't think I need to max out my retirement fund. And it made me think about this article I read called the five retirement myths. And I thought we'd talk about that quick to end the show because when times get tough in the economy, the first thing people start doing is stopping their contributions. They, like they do, because it's like, where are you going to cut back? They don't want to cut back on Starbucks. They don't want to cut back on their car. So the first thing they do is cut back on the thing that's probably not going to reward them for 20 or 30 years. So this myth, you don't need to max out your retirement accounts every year. So if, if you can, you should be contributing the maximum amount available to be able to do. And certainly when you're young, that's hard. As you go through your career, um, it, it might be, uh, it might become more realistic to do it, but let's just think about right now and the current market environment. So we're in a bear market. I don't know. I don't remember exactly how far off, um, the highs we are, but if you're work, if you're in like your prime earning years of your career right now, and you can max out your 401k at work, that that's the real opportunity right now for people the, the opportunity is not to day trade with your retirement money like your long-term savings money your account values down right now that's part of being an investor that happens if you think you need to make a change and you're not maxing out those accounts that's step one start maxing it out markets on sale start buying more so and people who do that we've talked about this on the show before if you do that let's you let's say you look at your situation you go you know what I could, I could, I could increase my contribution 2%, 5%, 10, whatever that number is in 10 years in 2032, you're probably going to look back on that decision. And that's going to be a very favorable decision that you made. Yeah. And you know, what's interesting about that. It's the least rewarding decision today. Yes, like, it I, is. I yeah. Think that's it's the, the hardest one to make. Cause now you have less spending money. That's the problem with retirement savings. It's there's no payoff for so long in the future. You just have to have this really good long-term vision of what things look like. And as humans, we seek instant gratification. We just want it today. And more than ever, we want it today because we see our friends with it on YouTube or Facebook or TikTok or Instagram, wherever we think we have to have it. You know, I watch YouTube videos all day with boats. I'm like, man, I need to have that boat. Yeah, my life's not going to change if I have that boat. It's going to be exactly the same. Like, yeah, I'll have a more expensive boat, but generally my life's not going to change. I'm not going to get to use it more. It's just like, man, I see it every day. I'm like, I really want it. I'll give when you a great you example. When you use it, the boat will be nicer though. 
but it'll be the same fun. I'm going to go to the same places, yeah, have as I much guess. fun. So I'll give you a good example. I really want to get a UTV side by side. Now I'm marrying, you know, hey, you can have them on the streets in Lynn County. Instant gratification, got to get one. I've been holding off. I'm like, I'm not buying one. I don't have a place to put it. I don't have a trailer for it. But yesterday, London, she goes, dad, let's get one of those. Like, I really want to get one. Hmm. I'm trying to avoid instant gratification. Um, myth number two is all you have to do is save as much as you can. You know, tell me what as much as you can is. Like, that's so arbitrary. It, it is. So I guess, and a lot of people are are not, a lot of people aren't even here yet. A lot of people have other stuff they need to work on, but we do meet with potential clients and we have some clients that are great savers. So I think what the point of this one and what it's getting at is, and at least for me, the way I take it, you can save money and invest and you can have a lifestyle. There might be a little bit of give and take there, but you don't have to save every last penny you ever make to build wealth and be successful towards some sort of financial goals. It doesn't require that. If you start early in your career, it can require require a lot less. Um, and I think the other part of this is it's not just the saving, but there's also planning too. I mean, if you save all your money, but you never have some sort of goal or plan for that money, then it's just, all, all it is is just a big pile of cash in the bank or you have a big account, but, but what is that doing for you? So like, I know a person, I don't save money because I just like to have a lot of money that it affords my lifestyle and all these other things that I like to have. So I think it's also alluding to that is, do you have a plan for this? What is this money going to accomplish for you? Two Those are I, important things to think about. Two things I see happen when we just save as much as we can. One, we're not saving enough because you don't have a plan. Or two, you're saving so much, you're giving your life up today. And we see that a lot. You know, we have husband, wife come in, one person's mega saver. The other person wants to like live a little. The plan can tell you if you can live a little. And a lot of times those super savers that come in here, they can live a little. They're on yeah. track. They're going to blow their goals out, but yet they won't go take the vacation, buy the new house or do any of that stuff that, you know, you get to enjoy when you're younger. You know, I, we've had this talk or I've had this talk with a lot of people recently, kind of because my parents are at the retirement age. You know, they're going to retire next summer. When you retire, let's just think about how many good years you really have left. I mean, what's the age where you just don't do things quite as good as you did before? It's sometime in your 70s. Mid 70s. Is, that's a good ballpark. It's so kind of when it happens. So, so if you lived your whole life and you were the super saver, saved every dime you could. You saved up all this money to retire at 68 years old. And let's say you have five or six good years left and you have all this extra money. What was the point? Unless your only inclination was to give it to your kids. Yeah. Maybe those people if, wanted the plan that tells them earlier in life, you know what? You could have the new house. You could take that vacation with your kids when they're young and enjoy it with them versus hoarding it until you're 85 years old and you don't get to enjoy it. Yeah. And that's, at that point, that's what you're looking at. You're going to spend it on, you know, healthcare bills when you're that old and then just leave money. But those, but that, right. That goes with planning. Just like you said, if that's your only goal, then 
you can facilitate that. I think there's a lot more people out there that want both. I think most people want to do what's right with their money and they want to have the lifestyle they want today. And that is, it, it is achievable. It's not, to me, it's not one or the other. I think you can absolutely do both. Do you want to know how achievable it really is? It's about three hours of planning. Yeah. It's probably spend, an yeah. hour in our office, an hour getting stuff together, an hour us showing you what it looks like. And you can figure out what you need to accomplish your goals. Elias, number three, it's acceptable to have less money when you retire. I'll never forget Elias when I started in this business. They had this thing called financial profiles and it was a financial planning software. And they said, well, you know, when someone retires, they live on 70%, you just figure 75% of whatever their income was, that's how much they're going to need. And I taught a class out at uh, Mercy Hospital for the Mercy Foundation, talked about this thing. I have everybody raise their hand and I say, hey, who thinks that if they're working today, they're going to retire tomorrow and you can live on 25% less? You know how many people raise their hand? Not many. Okay. Yeah. Not many did. No, okay. they can't. I mean, well, that's people, good. people that's live good on that. They didn't, they didn't raise their hand. People live on what they make. So to think that you're going to need less money in retirement, the only way you're going to need less money is if you want less lifestyle. Now, granted people could have like a mortgage that falls off something like that. But every time something falls off, something else is going to come up. Your house isn't maintenance free. You're going to have some expense to maintain your house. Your first year of retirement or first five years, you're probably going to spend more money than you did when you're working. Just think about the shift. You were working all day. You couldn't spend any money. You're retired all day now. Well, right. Unless you're just going to sit in your house and watch TV or read magazines or books or something. And if then you have why? any hobbies or lifestyle at all, you're going to spend more money. Then why'd you retire? Did you hate your job that much? I'm sure there are people there who probably do. are. We, you should work off a goals-based planning. We do goals-based plans. Elias, I think you'll agree when we ask somebody how much they spend, well, it's what I earn. It's very close. All very the time. close. Almost I mean, all the time. Yeah. They're living on what, because that's the lifestyle you become accustomed to. Number four, Elias, 401k plans are the be all end all of retirement planning. And for a lot of people, this can be a lot of their retirement planning. We kind of view 401ks a different way. You view 401ks as the ability to get a match from your employer. So you get some free money. And then we like people to go outside of that 401k and start maxing out their Roth IRAs and then come back to the 401k once that's done. It's pretty simple. But the 401k kind of gives you a limited scope of options. Not that they're bad options. It's a limited scope of investment options. And we want people to Elias to, to segment their money by three tax classes. One, taxable accounts. So that would be like your bank account, a CD, brokerage account, individual stock, individual bond, mutual funds, et cetera, et cetera. Elias, two would be Roth accounts. So that's your tax-free money. And three would be tax deferred money, which is 401ks, 403ps, anything that, you know, you got an upfront tax break on, you're going to pay tax in the end. And the reason we want to do that is we have options as to where to draw income when we retire versus a lot of retirees who thought this 401k was the magic bullet. They did it all pre-tax and now they've created a giant income tax bill throughout retirement. And if you have three buckets of tax money, you can manage your taxes significantly better.
than just plowing it into a tax deferred 401k. Yeah, you, you can. And, and one of the, I thought one of the insightful points made in the article about this was structuring your investments and the type of accounts they're in to maximize your money for your life, as opposed to 401ks a lot of times, a lot of times in investors mind, okay, I'm gonna invest in my 401k until I'm done working. And then that becomes kind of their time horizon. Well, the time horizon on your investments is your life. It's not just your end working date. That's the date you're going to stop working. So when you factor in these other tax buckets, like you're talking about, and investment strategies, well, now you can actually start working towards maximizing those dollars in your wealth for your entire life, which for a lot of people is going to be into the mid 80s. And a lot of people are even going to live into their 90s. So I think that's another kind of uh, paradigm shift with 401ks and why they're not just the only tool you should be using, uh, but it's certainly a tool you should take advantage of while you're working and uh, and participating in those. And the fifth and final one, and before I even say this one, a lot of people, this is our primary income source for retirement, even if they've saved money, but Social Security will fully support retirees. You know, the Social Security for some people will support their lifestyle. It's a little bit dependent upon how much money and how much they contributed. So for a blanket statement that social security will fully report support somebody, well, who knows? But if you have husband and wife whose benefits are 3,500 each, it might. You have a husband and wife whose each benefits a thousand bucks, it probably won't. So don't plan on social security to be all of your retirement income. And I we, we talked about this before. Go ask a person under age 30 years old how much their social security is. Oh, Most of them no don't idea. even know that they have it. No, no idea. Which is not a bad thing. I Young people should just be planning to save enough to, to do their retirement when they're successful. And if you get social security at that time, it can just be considered some icing on the cake. I just want it for younger people. I don't even like to plan for it. So Elias, the neat thing about all the stuff we talked about, most of this you can do planning for to eliminate all the guesswork and all the hope and all the luck that people feel associated with retirement. With that said, I want to thank everybody for listening. If anybody's looking for help getting a financial plan, if you want to talk about our portfolio recovery strategy, you can go to btwellshow.com. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, member FINRA SIPIC. The opinions voiced in this show are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, and financial advisor or tax advisor prior to investing. All performance referenced is historical and is not a guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. Premier Investments of Iowa Incorporated and LPL Financial do not provide tax advice. Please consult your tax professional.